0: No, this is a child who they're communicating the gender dysphoria that they're this way that they're experiencing they're explaining that they're going through these things and they're reacting in these ways and they're feeling this way because mom is trying to force them to do this or dad is trying to fool this or auntie and uncle are saying these things
1: welcome to the nurse wellness podcast empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Hi, Ricky. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm so excited that you are here. Thank you for Um,
0: having me.
1: Yeah, more than welcome. More than welcome. I'm excited for our conversation today. And why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about you? Who are you? And how did you become an LGBTQ advocate?
0: So my name, as you've heard, is am, Ricky. My pronouns are he, him. I am a recording artist, songwriter, and LGBTQ inclusion speaker that utilizes my platform to uplift marginally perceived communities as well as spread trans awareness. And so that's where a lot of my advocacy work came from. Um, I'm actually the first Black trans male recording artist to top any music chart and just in certain things i had to experience both within entertainment and just navigating my own life i knew that it was important to use my platform not only just for my gifts and talents but also to spread awareness and education on things that might not be understood about my community because i know that with having a platform comes people viewing you as a voice for community and i want to make sure that a lot of the misinformation that's been spread and kind of passed around through generations, especially within our culture. It's kind of dismantled.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. You use your platform for that purpose. So why don't we back up and tell us what is LGBTQ? What does that stand for? What does it mean? Um, We're starting very basic, right? Because I know what it means, but however, everyone listening may not.
0: So LGBTQ, LGBTQ is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer questioning. Anyone who stands within the queer umbrella spectrum um, would identify within the LGBTQ community.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for that. And can you tell us your story?
0: Yes. Um, So for those who, again, may not understand or know certain vernacular, so transgender male means I was AFAD, meaning I was assigned female at birth. Um, So I was assigned female at birth. I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, So from a nice little small town. Um, But I'm also from a state that LGBTQ culture, um, trans care and trans education is not prominent, um, especially right now in North Carolina. And so for me going to college early, I went to college at 16. And I knew that I saw that. Yeah, (laughs) I went to college at 16. I went to North Carolina Central University and i knew that there were resources that i needed that not only i lacked but my community lacked and so even then it was the same thing it was me utilizing the fact that i knew that i had certain influence with certain people from being known around campus or professors because i was the youngest in my class Uh, and i was able to work as a liaison with the schools, the LGBTQ center and help bring HRT to the campus as well as gender neutral restrooms. And I've just continued my work on from there. And from now I work with not only labels and corporations and nonprofits who are interested in inclusion strategy, who are interested in inclusion education, but on the music aspect, I work with the development of queer and BIPOC female artists who are needing people to help them with their sound, who teams are needing safety help. They want to know how can they build harm reduction to make sure that they're taking their acts, their talent, their employees, their whomever, and they're able to navigate them in safe ways. And so I help people to learn how can you not only bridge the intersection between LGBTQ advocacy and entertainment, but how can you also overall create safe spaces for all of
1: us? Oh, I love that. You said so much that I want to unpack. Um, and I love that you have a target audience, you know, who you work with. I love that call out there because uh, they're, they're listening, right? That, that was your dog whistle, as they call it, right? <laughs> sure. So I love that. But you said something very important. Being out uh, from North Carolina, you didn't have the resources, um, you know, to feel included. And, and when you say resources, are you talking about more like mental and physical health or just health in general? Talk to me a little more about that.
0: Resources overall. So a lot of time people, when they hear resources, they think monetary, they think health, they think mental health, and all of those are accurate. There were no monetary resources for certain things. There were no mental health resources for certain things. There weren't as many physical and you know health-related things that were needed, but there also weren't resources of just community, of people mm-hmm. that could, at a young age be able to say, hey, Here's what I need. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Now, I will say that I was blessed. Again, I went to college at a young age. And for me, it was very important that I had someone who who looked like me, who felt like me, who sounded like me, who could help understand me. So I was blessed to have a doctor there on campus. Her name was Dr. Ray Lundy. And she was who, who became my resource to try to help navigate. But then I realized everyone didn't have a Lundy. And so how can we make it so that everyone has a lot of need? Everyone can have someone that kind of is a voice for them and can help them figure out how can they get the things that they needed for their healthcare.
1: I love that. So you going to college was actually a blessing.
0: Yes, it was. Uh, you,
1: to meet this doctor. And tell me about the time when you actually made that decision to say, I'm going to be an advocate because, yes, you went to college, you met this doctor, your needs are being met. But tell me when you like said, OK, this we, we need to we need to really expand this. Right. And we need more of this and more places. Tell me about that moment when you made that decision.
0: So for me at a young age, I didn't really understand what advocacy was. I just knew that I was young. I knew that for whatever reason, I had a lot of influence with my community to be so young. And I knew that when I spoke, whether it was good or bad, somebody was about to listen. So let me use this right. (laughs) And I think ultimately it was, I remember experiencing a time where I was able to figure out how to get my testosterone, but there was someone who had been older than me, of course, who had been transitioning at least socially longer than I had. And they may have had more, like, family support, whereas I might not have had as much family support. They might have had a partner, and I didn't. I was good. I was the baby on (laughs) campus. But they couldn't get anyone who could help them understand themselves with their mental health. They couldn't get their HRT. They were coming to me and asking questions, and it made me realize not everyone has a sense of privilege and can come from a place of privilege. And understanding that even in a place of where I lacked a lot, there was there's still privilege and lack, and mm-hmm. I think that that's one thing about the trans community that I think a lot of people doesn't understand is that we're a community that has built off of ourselves, off of understanding that there's privilege and lack, and finding that, and finding joy in mm-hmm. that, finding peace in that, and saying how can I take this, how can I teach other people this, so that we can now build up off of it.
1: Yes, I love that, and you mentioned HRT a couple of times, and that's hormone replacement therapy, and why is that important? Can you tell us that?
0: Hormone replacement therapy is important because, for one, there are so many things from gender dysphoria to overall just wanting that person to be able to be fundamentally safe, sound, and whole within themselves. For me, HRT and myself and other people, HRT is a lifesaver because it allows you to now be the person that you know you were born to be, you know that you were born to aspire as, and it kind of just puts everyone else on the same wavelength. So for me, HRT was not only me being able to live in my truth, but it was also being able to help those around me and community with me, being able to understand me within my truth better as
1: well. Mm. So that is so important cause you're saying people were not able to get HRT. So what you just said, what it means to you, people were not able to experience that, to feel whole, to feel included. So that's very, very, very important. Um, and when you were in North Carolina before going to school, did you see any um, healthcare professionals? Like, did you try to have this conversation with a healthcare professional, maybe a pediatrician since you were so young? <laughs> of course. Yes,
0: um, I did. But at the time and like now there were not, I remember being younger and I actually went through this, the child services system. So some, I was in a foster care and things of that nature. So I remember being young and having, you know, being sent to go see psychiatrists and therapists and things of that nature. But at that time, there was not much understanding of not only what it means to be transgender, but trans children advocating for themselves that, hey, this is what I look like. This is how I feel but then also within black culture that's just something that kind of is kind of taboo to talk about especially within the south anyways <laughs> so i was i was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place uh i had doctors who weren't understanding of what i was saying and so they were disregarding it as other thing well Well, maybe the part of them that feels like they're a boy is a personality disorder, or maybe it's a this, or maybe it's a that. Yeah, and and they would they would label it everything other than, no, this is a child who they're communicating the gender dysphoria that they're dysphoria that they're experiencing. They're explaining that they're going through these things and they're reacting in these ways and they're feeling this way because mom is trying to force them to do this or dad is trying to fool this or auntie and uncle are saying these things and it completely combats who they know who they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're just trying to communicate, hey, I know what I'm doing, but I don't think the grown folk around me know what's going
1: on. Yes, <laughs> yes.
0: And do it in a way that no one takes
1: it the wrong way.
0: And it literally took until I got... To college and got to Dr. Lundy for anyone for me to see anyone who actually said there's nothing wrong with you. Everything within these reports that you've heard, everything that they've told you, everything that you've probably read, and that's probably been instilled in you since you were a child. I need you to remove that from your brain. And I need you to understand that there's nothing wrong with you. You are perfect exactly how you are. We just need to start exploring and having conversations about gender identity. Let's talk about dysmorphia. Let's talk about identity. Let's talk about how do you view yourself. Let's talk about certain experiences and let's walk through this process. And I went through therapy for at least a year and a half, just in regards to my transition before I ever went to a doctor to actually start my process to do anything before I any. Any, any social transitions. I, of course, my family and close friends might've called me nicknames growing up with certain things. But as far as like, this is who I am. My name is Amir. My pronouns are he, him. Please don't <laughs> correct me as anything other than in uh, starting trans- the actual testosterone. I went at least a year and a half before I put myself through an actual medical transition.
1: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I- I'm just thinking about that child who was really crying out for help, like, listen to me
0: Mm
1: -hmm. from doctors, from parents, from just the community and feeling so shut out. And not until you got to college, like I'm doing all those years of like, just not feeling heard, feeling seen. Um, what would you say to healthcare professionals who may have that child sitting in their office tomorrow? whether it's a mental health professional or a medical professional, what would would you say to them?
0: I would say for one, hear, hear the child first, redirect with the parent second. And I don't mean that in a way of saying disregard the parent. But what I mean that is, is that a lot of times with myself, with other trans children, Doctors are trained to you go to the parent, you go to the guardian. What do they say? What do I medically know? Let's put these two together. Well, in the case of a trans child, you're dealing with self-identity. No one else can tell that child about their self, but them. So you can, you can listen to mom and dad. You can take pieces from what mom and dad are saying, but ultimately when it comes to gender affirming children, you have to listen to the thoughts, feelings, sounds, and well, ultimate well-being of that youth. And I think that's the part of gender-affirming care for trans youth that people are missing. This is not saying that your child is about to go have a surgery tomorrow. And In our actuality, it's not even that easy at all. There's a process to, trans- to to surgery. There's a process to top surgery. There's a process to phalloplasty, which is the process of bottom surgery. Which would be whether it's a trans male and they are receiving a penis, or it's a trans woman and she is receiving a vagina. Um, but there are there, there's a process to that. It doesn't just happen overnight. But allowing your child to at least start testosterone, start hormone blockers, is the same difference of if your child was born male and for whatever reason had a low testosterone count, you would still have to go send them to the same doctor. You would still have to put them on the same medication for them to see the same quality of life and feel the same type of joy and euphoria as this trans child that you're trying to keep this from the only difference is is that this trans child now has depression they have suicidal thoughts they have other things that they have to take into account like if their parent is not understanding is Misinformation and miseducation now turning into abuse, and now that's turning into verbal abuse, and it's coming into mental abuse, and it's turning into things that are not healthy for this child. And now we're seeing this alarming race and suicide rates, which we are seeing. I think that's the part of it that people need to focus on and not more so the, well, it's this, it's that. No, it's making sure that your child can grow up to be the best self.
1: Yeah, so it's really like seeing that child developing their relationship with their that child and you know while you're talking I'm just thinking about as a healthcare professional myself we talk about holistic care, right? The whole person, not the whole male or female, the whole person. And I think I think that's it is really seeing them as a person, getting to know them as a person. What are those thoughts because when you miss that there's so many repercussions that come after that act or that interaction.
0: And and the biggest thing for a healthcare provider is you never want, aside from a parent, the healthcare provider should be the second person, one of the top people that a child should be able to trust. And if the child does not feel safe speaking and expressing their true self to their healthcare provider, how can you truly be the best provider that you can be? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. And, and, you know, I think, you know, with the diversity, we'll get into diversity, equity, inclusion, because I want to hear your your thoughts on that. Um, With uh, the diversity of, you know, our our society, I think, and I don't think in medical schools and nursing schools, we need to start talking about this. It needs to be part of the curriculum, right? Uh, because doctors, nurses, healthcare prof- other healthcare professionals are launched out into the workforce to care and support and protect society members, all members, but not equipped with the, I'll say, emotional intelligence, right? Or, or just uh, awareness, um, you know, that you're able to take care of the person, to provide the holistic care to the person who's in front of you. Um, So I think it has to start in, in academia. It has to be part of the curriculum. What are your thoughts about that?
0: I totally agree. I would say some of my most traumatic experiences of transphobia I've had were in the healthcare place field. It was in the doctor's office. It was being sick and needing care and lack of care, lack of education, lack of understanding when I'm going to the offices. Led to months to years of being sick of things just building and escalating. Uh, I think that every healthcare provider should do what you're doing. There are plenty. There's me. There's plenty of me. There are plenty of us who are very well versed, very well educated, not only in our expertise but in our firsthand experience, who are willing to say, "Hey, I'm 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 open. I'm here. I'm willing to come. I'm willing to share. I'm willing to educate." let's do what we can do together to make sure that we can take care of community together. And I think that if it's not it with built into curriculum, because we also understand what's going on within the world right now with the DEI, right? So if it's not built within your curriculum, you as a healthcare professional can still make the professional choice mm. to bring it into your office and bring it into your office curriculum. They said you can't have it as a force overall. They never said you can't have it as a choice. So therefore, as a healthcare provider, I would I would suggest that you, you seek those resources, you seek that education, and you make sure that everyone that comes into your office, from a nurse to the doctor, to please the people who work at the front desk as the receptionist. <laughs> Go through some safe zone training.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and to that point, I know a lot of healthcare organizations, they do an annual training, right? On on diversity and most of them. And um, it's a module. Yeah. However, I think it would be more powerful for healthcare organizations to partner with someone from the LGBTQ community or advocate bring them into the institution on an annual basis or quarterly basis to really talk to gain a better understanding. Because how many people are really digesting the webinar? How many people are really taking it? You know what I mean? But but I think we're talking about real people. We're talking about people. So bring the people in, have them become part of the community, you know? I think that would really change the trajectory of healthcare and how we are able to care for the LGBTQ community.
0: I agree. And I know that you all have the annual conference, but even within the last year, things within community are constantly evolving, mm-hmm. you know? We've been using the term, like, for instance, people have been talking about the term cisgender. Well, cisgender has been commonly used within the medical field for forever. Now it's something that's used within community. You know, there are more spectrums of before people weren't talking about intersexuality as much. Or even for me as a trans identified individual, they weren't talking about our identities as much. So I think they having it on an annual basis, but always, even if it's maybe a quarterly check-in or something. But something so that your office is always up to date and up to speed on the constantly evolving culture and community, because just as the world changes, so does the knowledge of what is within a community and education of those within community. And it's very difficult to summarize everything that everyone needs to know one time in a year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So true. Cause we're evolving. People are evolving. Things are evolving. Knowledge is evolving. So you have to evolve with the time. So I I, I love that, that continuing education piece there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so talk to me about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tell me your thoughts on that. I have some thoughts, but tell me your thoughts first.
0: <laughs> Got lots of thoughts on them. Um, I have lots of thoughts on them. But I think that overall, when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, sometimes people forget the real, the true core of what it is. And I think that a lot of times they view it only on one spectrum. They view it as it's just gender. They view it as it's just race. They view it as it's just sex. They view it as just this or that. And it's everything. It's everyone. And this is all. And again, it goes back to the piece of collaboration across education mm-hmm. and the need to not be afraid to say, this is where we're unmisinformed. This is where we know we're not experts of it. We're experts of our craft, but we're not experts of everything and being willing to stretch a hand and stretch across, and stretch a open arm for everyone to, 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 to be unified and educated together. But yeah. I don't think that that's what's happening right now in a lot of places. And I think that that's why I do what I do because there are people who need that education, who need those things. And the lack, and I wouldn't say lack, but the way that DEI has flowed is why I felt like it was so necessary for me to say, don't just be an artist and be this person who does really cool things and people see you everywhere, but Mm -hmm. use your voice and really take yourself out the field, into the field and educating folks. Because especially within our culture, our rappers, our athletes, they're viewed like superheroes. But there's nobody that's like that for the queer community. There's nobody who's our superhero that they're 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 our celebrity, but they're also our person that we see at the White House shaking hands. But they're also the person that we see that are working with our politicians, that we see that are also in our medical field. We don't have what others in our culture could have, and so because we don't have that, we're often left out of DEI. We're often misunderstood in DEI. They dumb us down or view us down as just, here's some pronouns, here's a safe zone, here's what you do or don't say, don't get canceled, have a great day, (laughs) and go about your life. And they miss everything in between in the the parts of us that are human. Mm,
1: That's deep. That's deep because I, I felt like Dee and I, the, I was going to ask you and you answered the question, did you feel included in that whole initiative that was like rolled out across uh, the nation, right? Uh, a lot of companies changed their mission. They started new initiatives um, because it was really, you know, from where I said, it was focused more so on race. Yeah, it, it, was, it was very focused on race. And now we're seeing it open up. Um, e- even just in my field of being more, um, in, being more inclusive of not just race, but age and, and gender. And I want to talk to you about clinical trials too, because even if you feel um, like you can't really trust the medical field, but you, you did find your person at, at, in college, um, you know, I, I wonder about how many LGBTQ individuals don't feel safe going to the ER Don't feel safe going to um, just their wellness visits, right? So never mind, like the diagnoses, because LGBTQ, you're you're human, you're people, right? You you still get diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, like you know what I mean. So so those wellness visits are so important. Um, And now we are looking at um, LGBTQ that community in, in in clinical trials, right? For cancer clinical trials, but how do we get them to trust us we're part of the we're part of the medical fields
0: well for one i think that is also uh when they do these trials they also forget some of us so it's hard to do a study when you don't properly count a person Mm -hmm. um so for instance trans men are often left out when the conversation of the trans community comes up when you say trans people think trans woman that's it Mm -hmm. no one thinks of us I've had the experience of going to the doctor of needing to go to the OBGYN because I had a adenomyosis that was developing into something else that was very, very bad and needed to talk to a doctor. And the, the lady had literally said, why are you here? And I had to even explain like, no, I'm in your system. I'm in the right place. No, why are you here? But I'm a patient, but why are you here? You know what I mean? And, and them not understanding I know I, I just need care. I just need someone to help me. I need someone to take care of me. But no one understood that it was possible for a woman to be assigned female at birth and then transition because she truly identifies and exists to identify as male. They, I went to offices that never had seen or experienced or even known of that to care for me. So it's remembering everyone. It's remembering that when you get your education, that you're getting it universally. You're not only seeing one perspective. It's doing what you're doing now. Community trusts each other. And the the best way to get community to trust you is allow them to see someone that looks or sounds like them connected to you and safe with you. Mm. Having conversations like these, letting them know that, okay, if, if, if they're willing to have this conversation and this person says they're okay, then I might be all right. I might be able to trust them. I might just stand hand in hand with them. Putting yourself in places where community is. There are prize. Yeah. There are LGBTQ curated events all the time. There are LGBTQ artists. Start sponsoring and partnering and investing in the people within community that y'all need to help you bridge that gap. The same way that you would do for any other thing that you all do.
1: <laughs> I love that. That is, that's gold. That's gold for all the decision makers out there. <laughs> I can't wait for, um, I know we're going to get a lot of messages about this, this, uh, this discussion. We better. <laughs> we better. <laughs> so so we're we running it back, Wendy. <laughs> Yes. You were just giving such great information. Um, And it's really gold because your one voice is helping so many people. So I want to just say thank you for what you're doing, for telling your story so openly, for uh, revisiting your childhood experiences. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Because there's one thing you can say that could just shift someone and just change the trajectories for someone else's life. Right. So someone that hears this now may go to work tomorrow, feeling different, maybe able to treat that patient different um, or that employee, right. Yes. <laughs> or, or that employee uh, different. So th- this is great. Um, I do want to take you through a rapid fire, but before we do that, what is something you want the world to know about, the LGBTQ community?
0: The trans experience is not monolithic. One trans patient is not like the next patient. One LGBTQ patient is not like the next patient. One gay patient is not like the. Everyone is different. We are all our own experience. And it's important to treat each patient like their own experience, but don't make them feel isolated. Don't make them feel like they're being singled out. We can tell when someone is genuinely of community and support, and they're trying really, really hard to get my pronouns right. (laughs) We can tell that. (laughs) And it makes a difference. It's important that you come from a genuine place of care when you're caring for the community. Because this is a community that once they leave your office, they're... A lot of them don't feel safe in just their everyday existence. Mm. And so if you as the healthcare provider, your main job is to at least protect my body, keep my body and my mind together, because everything else outside of here is trying to take it from you. Mm. You have to make sure that they're protected when they're with you and that they feel seen when they're with you.
1: Uh, You're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm not. What would you say, how can a healthcare professional start the conversation if they may feel uncomfortable to really start to get to know or unpack that person's experience? What is a suggestion for someone that just don't know where to start?
0: Um, I will start by going to dot and contacting me and letting me talk to you in you, you, your office so that we can start with educating you. I always say that the start is to get that education before the cusp that that patient even in your office. The worst thing you can make a patient feel is that they're educating while they're seeking care. Mm. That itself will turn a lot of patients away, and a lot of a lot of medical professionals, although they may be thinking that they're trying to do the right thing, a lot of times that's what they do. Mm. So if I get pulled in a corner and I have to explain to you what does this mean or what does that mean or what is it, I'm teaching you. I don't want to have to do that if I'm crying for help. I, I just need you to help. And so getting that education and being proactive is actually the first step. Proactivity is the first and the best step. And again, you can constantly learn and you can constantly evolve. It's it's not a one-stop shop. So it might start with the training, but then it might lead to having an actual inclusive strategist within your office, which is something that a lot of people have not considered, but that's something that a lot of people should consider. I would say that when I started strategizing with an office before, it wasn't intentional. It really was just I needed that somewhere to go and nobody else <laughs> knew where to go. <laughs> but a simple conversations. Of, Let's talk about how do y'all treat people when they come in here. So we start monitoring my visits. What were my experiences in different offices when I had to go to different locations? Who treated me the best? How did they speak to me? How did they correspond to me? And then I took that back. What does your marketing look like? When I walk into your office, do I see anybody that look like me? Anything, anywhere, especially my OBGYNs. My OBGYNs, please, 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 please get you some gender inclusive posters in your lobby. I promise you, you're going to see a world of a difference in your clients. Put the posters everywhere. Have name tags that have pronoun stickers on them. So that when they check in, if they want to have their pronouns, that eliminates anybody misgendering them. Make sure that when you're checking them in, your receptionist refers to them regardless of what's in the system. Refer to them as their preferred pronoun, so that that's something that's already it's, it's already a trust. Say my say their last name. Confirm the last name. Confirm the birthday. Confirm everything else. But when you verbally, out loud, respond, refer to them in their preferred name. That makes a difference. It also makes them feel like they're not having to check their shoulder to see who just heard what you just said.
1: Right. Right. Having that conversation in, in the waiting room, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Well, I also want to know what you're working on as an artist as well. I know we haven't really talked about that, but let us know what you're working on. Where can they find your, your work? Um, yeah. Let us know.
0: So, I actually just released that album. It's called Listen If You're Lonely. And so, Listen If You're Lonely is about mental health from the Black trans masculine perspective. So, Gabe basically, if you gave a queer masculine presenting person a diary, what are some things that we would have say? And it dives into topics like mental health. It talks about sex. It talks about domestic violence and IPV. It talks about navigating just certain life cultures. And it's all from our experience. And I've actually taken that project and through that project, I've broken it down into different workshops, different things that I take to different places, different conferences, different media networks, different people like yourself who are interested in being educated and having inclusive strategies and wanting to touch trans and LGBTQ communities. And I unpack what I put into my project in an educational format for them.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. It's not just music, but y- yes, yes, yes. I love it. And where can people go to find out more about your offerings?
0: Yes. So you can check out my music. You can get my information. If you are interested in contacting me, you can watch snippets of some of my different engagements, learn about some of my any like, collaborations, anything you would need and want to know at 2 a.m.ricky.com. That's number 2 a.m. like in the morning. And yeah, thank you so much, Wendy, for just having me and allowing me to have this conversation with you and your audience.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. And we're going to do a quick rapid fire because we kind of went over, but I I needed to get all the information. It was too good. So the rapid fire is, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind to answer the question or finish the statement. (laughs) Okay, cool. Wellness means?
0: Wellness means being happy, being full, and being within self.
1: Yes. I know I'm stressed one.
0: I go, uh-uh. <laughs> 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 that is my cold word uh, also because sometimes when I'm on stage or the public and I'm and I'm in like a like my, my public figure, but I can't always show when I'm stressed. So my cold words is my security, my team, my anything. Uh-uh.
1: I love it. I love it. And my go-to stress management strategy is
0: My go-to stress management stress management strategy is prayer first, music second.
1: Ooh, I love those two. Those are great. And if there's one thing that you can change in this world, what would it be?
0: I would change the amount of ingrained transphobia and homophobia that a lot of our cultures carry. And I would bring a sense of normalization to the trans community and the trans existence. Mm,
1: I love that. I love that. And what is something people get wrong about you?
0: I'm actually very introverted. And so- Really? Yes, (laughs) I'm actually very introverted. And so the moment I am done with being on camera and it literally shuts off, people are like, well, that's a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really the person like I will sit in a corner And I'll be happy people watching as long as I have my (laughs) quarter.
1: That is awesome. Well, Ricky, it was such a pleasure having you. Um, And this is just the start of a new relationship and partnership. I will love to have you back on the platform Um, just to continue to have the conversation, continue the conversation, because like you said, things evolve and we want to keep the community educated. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. Before you go, I would love to share a free stress management resource with you. Go to StressBlueprint.com and download your free copy of the three questions to ask when you are stressed. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best.